Welcome to the Success in South Carolina podcast, where we will be hearing the untold stories of success from some of the top achievers in our home state of South Carolina. These neighbors of ours will also share their time-tested personal philosophies and solutions to inspire us, educate us, and help us find peace, joy, and love, along with a purpose, a mission, and a vision for our lives. And I'm your host, Jonathan Peoples. Our guest today lives in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. She is an entrepreneur, a businesswoman, and a politician for the best state in the U.S., She's the founder of Quality Business Solutions, a payroll, human resources, and benefit services firm headquartered in Traveler's Rest. Under her leadership as president and CEO, QBS has grown exponentially, going from startup to one of the nation's fastest growing small businesses. Her company has also been repeatedly honored among the fastest growing and best places to work in South Carolina. She has received numerous business and professional accolades, including the Athena Leadership Award, the Enterprise Woman of the Year Award, the Women President's Organization 50 Fastest Growing Women-Owned-Led Companies Award, and as a member of the Impact 50, an annual ranking on the most powerful women leaders of Inc. 5,000 companies. She is the 93rd Lieutenant Governor of South Carolina and the first female Republican Lieutenant Governor of our state. Welcome to the show, my new friend, Pamela Evit. Hey, Pamela. It's great to be here. Thank you so much, Jonathan. It's hard to believe that that much time has gone by and I'm very blessed. There's no doubt. It takes a lot. I don't think anybody does great things by themselves. And I've had great people in my life that have been great mentors. I've had a very supportive family and, you know, that's how we all get to success, right? We surround ourselves with good people. Sometimes people smarter than we are. And you're, you're native to Ohio, What brought you to the great state of South Carolina? So my husband, my husband born and raised here in South Carolina. And when I started QBS, David came on, he was going to like start selling in the Southeast and I was going to start selling in the Northeast. And we were going to kind of like meet in the middle and the business started growing so much in the Southeast. And then David and I decided to get married and I moved down here and they say the rest is, is the story, but he likes to credit that when he talks to the governor, that he's the reason that I'm the lieutenant governor, right? It's because he's lured <laughs> me out of Ohio and brought me here to South Carolina. But I tell people all the time, Jonathan, I was born and raised in Ohio, but I got here as quick as I could. And the people of South Carolina were just amazing. Yeah, There was so much potential. You know, 23 years ago, when I started QBS, the potential down South, I could just see it. And as we kept growing and growing, uh, the success of South Carolina was growing and growing. BMW is 28 years in, we are 23 years in. And, you know, BMW 28 years ago, that was really the start of the turnaround of this state. And now we lead the world in advanced manufacturing, but it was because BMW took a chance on a textile state uh, that was looking to redefine itself that South Carolina has just taken off and has never stopped growing. Right, right. There's a lot of awesome stories from just these corporations that have moved in. Why do you feel like some of these companies choose to take a risk on South Carolina? Is there something that maybe the general population doesn't understand about South Carolina that is that makes our state so great? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Number one is we're a very pro-business state, and that was shown during COVID. 
we are the last state east of the Mississippi to tap on the brakes, the first state to open up. And what that meant for me is that we took the data we were compiling through a very difficult time and we gave it to the employers of this state and we knew that they would take care of their employees and they did. And when you look at other states, blue states that were shut down and sheltered in, what it did to the companies that broke the backs of their business community. And so that really showed that we walk the walk we talk. Because if you go to any state, they're going to say they're a business-friendly state, right? But when the rubber met the road, South Carolina, we, we treated our businesses with the respect they needed. So that's one. Number two is our technical colleges. We have the best technical colleges in the country. I believe in the world. I know I'm a little bit biased, but what our technical colleges do creating different disciplines within as we see different industries grow is something that's not done anywhere. And businesses need that. We all need a workforce and a trained, skilled workforce, and our technical colleges give that. And so when people look at where am I going to put my business? First of all, they want to look and see where is a good business-friendly environment, which we talked about. How am I going to get a trained workforce, which is what our technical colleges do? And do we have a safe place for our business and for the families that we're going to relocate here? And in South Carolina, we value our law enforcement. And our first responders are a top priority in this executive branch. And so businesses look at all those things and then they say, wow, this is the place we want to be. And last year was no different. So in November of last year, we broke our own economic development record when BMW announced a $1.7 billion investment in Woodruff, South Carolina. And then 30 days later, we broke our own record with a $3.5 billion investment announcement with Redwood. So literally 30 days out from each other, we broke our own record. And so that's just a glimpse of what is sitting out there uh, that we're hoping to announce as 2023 moves along. It seems like South Carolina is kind of a microcosm of what makes America great to begin with. It is. You know, we still believe in family. We believe in faith and we believe in hard work. And that's what businesses want. You know, you'll hear the governor say it all the time. What makes South Carolina different is the people, mm. the people, the people, the people. And, and it's really true. We're very solid, good people that really believe in the principles that made our country great. And I think we still have that here in South Carolina. And that's what businesses and just individuals are looking for when they're not happy in the state they're in. And we can see that, you know, we're one of the fastest growing states in the nation. Last year, U-Haul rated South Carolina number four. I'm really proud of that. Everybody says, well, number four. Well, Florida, Texas, and Tennessee were ranked above us, and none of them have state income tax. Hmm. So now, when we were ranked number four, we had one of the, we were 12th in the nation highest state income tax rates. Last year, with the working hand in hand with the General Assembly, we had an income tax cut for the first time in South Carolina history, just making us more competitive on the world front. And, and we're going to see that and we're going to continue to cut because you don't have to raise taxes on businesses that are here. You just need to continue to let them grow and flourish. And that will organically give you the money you need to run your state. And we saw that last year with a $3.8 billion surplus 
with businesses that are already here. You know, the businesses that we announced, those two big record-breaking economic development announcements, they haven't even started yet. So just imagine once they kick in. So Pam, I feel like we've already started to jump into, kind of jump deep into the weeds. Let me back up one step because my wife wrote a question that she really wants me to ask. She was reading your website and she said, how do you juggle being a wife, a mother, a business owner, a board member, a volunteer, and lieutenant governor, what are your time management strategies so you can show up as your best self in all these roles? So I'm going to tell you, somebody asked in front of my daughter, my oldest is 26. They asked me what I thought about work-life balance. And I I paused for a second and she, she said, mom, please don't try to tell people you have work-life balance. You just go with it. And so I, I do, you know, I, I prioritize every day what I need to do. And when I was just running the business before I became Lieutenant governor, I had a very strict rule that nine to five, really eight to five, I was the president of QBS and I worked really hard to keep, you know, the train on the tracks and, and everything going and us growing. But at five o'clock, I was mom. So you were going to find me at my son's lacrosse game or my daughter's cross country meet. And I just made that specific time to carve out. Um, when I became lieutenant governor, that became a little harder because I do travel all around the state. But you just have to make time for the important things in your life. So my youngest is going to be 16 at the end of the month. And I make sure that when I get his lacrosse schedule, those are the first things that go on my calendar. And he knows that, you know, there are times I'm not going to be able to make it. And I think that's success for me as a mom is that once uh, a reporter asked Jackson if he was sad that I probably wasn't as home as much as I was before I was lieutenant governor. And we were at a Clemson football game and we were on the field watching warmups. And he turned around and said, you know, I do miss the fact that my mom can't be home as much. But if my mom wasn't the lieutenant governor, I wouldn't know Dabo Sweeney. And so we all kind of chuckled and laughed. But for me as a mom, it made me realize that I've done something right, that my kids realize that everything is not all good and everything is not all bad. Has trade-offs. Yeah, you have to take the good with the bad. And so for me as a mom, I thought that was a big win. And I tried just to carve out those special times. My husband is a rock star. David really fills in the gaps. I stepped away from quality business solutions when I became lieutenant governor because I wanted to focus all of my energy on doing what I could for the state that I live in and for the role that I was about to take on because I came right from business into this role. Uh, it was a different path than most people would get to be the number two in the state. And so I had a lot to learn. I didn't think that I was going to come into this and was going to change government or know everything. Uh, I came into it with an open mind and an open heart. And I did a lot of listening, you know, my first probably two years in office to get a feel uh, for what government was about, because we all like to think we want to run government like a business, but government isn't designed to be run completely as you would run your business. Mm -hmm. And so you can really hurt a lot of people by making rash decisions. And so there'd be collateral damage. I learned that really early on when you learn how government operates. I tried to put a lot of learning time into my position. So I stepped away from QBS. That made it a little bit easier. You know, there was some transition time, which was really tough uh, trying to manage both. But you just have to figure out, you know, what are the things that you can't miss? And then you work the rest of your schedule from there. So setting priorities, setting boundaries, 
And like you said, life and government both are kind of like whack-a-mole. You hit one thing down and another one pops up. There's unintended consequences sometimes. And uh, that's why I love the fact that you said I took the first two years and I really just observed Yeah, because, because you don't want to be rash. You realize that there's a burden of responsibility on your shoulders. Yeah. Kind of following up on that question of being all these different roles. Sometimes that can be a little bit draining of your energy. How do you keep yourself full or fill yourself back up to make sure you're showing up for your, as your best self in all these roles? So I love to golf. We've made things like that now more of a family sport, a family outing. So like I can relax and be with my family at the same time. So now all three of my children golf. And so like, we'll go out golfing and it's a great day. Like if we go out on a Sunday afternoon, it's a great way to be out there. We laugh at each other. It's good quality time together. And it is really, really relaxing uh, to be at a beautiful golf course. If I'm in Greenville looking out at the mountains, it's not a bad way to uh, spend a Sunday afternoon. I love to read. Uh, I love to cook. And, and I, I try to revolve a lot of my free time around my family because I feel like so much of it can get pulled away during the week that we've just thought of new ways to have fun together and to relax at the same time. You mentioned that they asked your daughter work-life balance or whatever. I don't think for the highest achievers, there's such a thing as balance between the two. It's more of a integration. You have to figure out how to integrate all these pieces of your of the puzzle. Jonathan, that's a great way to put it. And I may use that when people ask me that question later on. You feel free to tell them I told you that too. I will. I will. I'm going to tell them. <laughs> but, but you know, that that is true. Because it's when you talk about balance, it is hard to balance when you have a whole lot of different hats you're wearing. But a lot of times it's really just trying to figure out how you integrate all those things together to maximize your time. And so, um, no, that that's a great way to put it. And I, I think you're right. When people talk about balance, it is super hard to have balance in this world that I'm in because your schedule changes at a moment's notice, right? You could have a hundred things on the calendar and then something big happens, a big economic development announcement, you clear the decks, you, you know, you, you just have to be there. And so you don't really have the control you had in business. In business, you have a lot more control than you do here in in a public life. Right. I feel like balance is one of those things. It's kind of like happiness in the way of if you chase it, it never seems to come to you. If you're chasing balance, if you're chasing happiness, you never really quite achieve it. If instead you just choose happiness uh, and with balance, it's more about chasing purpose, I believe, chasing purpose, chasing a vision. And it gives you the energy. It gives you those balance. It gives you the integration of all the things. What do you think about that? I do think I think you're spot on with that. You know, you talked about like all the things I like to do when your wife was talking about like charitable stuff that I'm on and things that I I have tried to integrate those things that I'm passionate about now into my public life. Mm. Like reading was always something I was you know very passionate about as a mom and a business owner and QBS did a lot giving to charities that got books into kids' hands and I mean, I was the book fair mom for like 12 years. I thought I was going to die being the book fair mom because that's what I, you know, when you, once you do it, you're cursed to do it forever. But for me, it was kind of a labor of love because if you can read, you can learn. Mm. And if you can learn, you can be anything you want to be. And I'm the granddaughter of Polish immigrants who really believed in education was your key to everything and how, just how important that was. And so now I've been able to take things that I'm passionate about and champion it just from a different soapbox. I work with first steps because I believe reading and early childhood education is very important. 
looking this year to really focus on read to succeed and put some teeth into that because I think it is the worst thing that we can continue to have happen is kids graduating high school that can't read at a third grade level. Mm. Um, we have to give the administration power to kind of stop that cycle and really make sure that our kids can function uh, when they get out of high school. And so I can use my voice now and my platform to even be more impactful than I could in business. So it's right. We, you integrate in a different way the things that you were passionate about, uh, the things you wanted to achieve. You just figure out how to work it into your new, into your new every day. Yeah. And I heard somebody once say that there's no difference between someone who can't read and someone who doesn't read. Yeah. You know, and that's a shame because I love, there is nobody on vacation that loves to read like a romance novel more than I do. Like just mindless reading. It's going to end happy. Like it's just really good. Cause I read so much. Like you can imagine the yeah. amount of things that come across my desk that I read. I read bills, right. I read statutes. So you look at all that and just articles, tons of articles on mm. education and workforce development. So sometimes it's so nice to just escape with a mindless book. I think, yeah, and, and actually a book. It's like McDonald's. You know, if you, if all you're doing is eating fruit and vegetables all day long, you got to have some McDonald's every now and then. That's right. Every once in a while, you got to have a Big Mac. Like once a year, you got to go in for the Big Mac. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so you are kind of a pioneer for women-owned businesses, for women in politics. What are some of the examples you looked up to while you were blazing your own trails? Who, who inspires you? You know, it's so funny. I, I do get asked that an awful lot. So there's a couple people. First off, my dad. And, and you would think like, wow, there would be like this woman that I would tout that was like my mentor, right? But my father was amazing. I'm the, I'm the only girl. I have three older brothers. And he always said, you could be anything you want to be as long as you work hard enough to do it. Hmm. And so he was the driving force really behind me never thinking that nothing was out of my reach. And, you know, he used to always say, keep in front of you what you want to obtain and every move you make in life, even if it's subconsciously, will be working towards your goal. And so he had all these great words of wisdom for us. And he was always afraid to take a leap. And I think even when he was passing away, what probably broke my heart the most is that he was the smartest man I knew, but was never willing to take risk because he was a first generation American who had a great job that had benefits and he wanted to put his kids through college. And so he would never take risk. Mm. And I think that's why when I talk to people and I became a mentor through WeBank, as I was building my own business, I just put my head down and worked. And then I kind of looked up and we were a billion dollar company and I went, wow, I need to start giving back. Like, how do I help? Yeah. And, and when I talk to women, when I talk to kids that come to the Capitol, boys or girls, I always tell them not to be afraid of failure, that some of your best successes will be born out of a failure. Mm. And that is like the best advice that I could, I think I can give to anyone is I think we live in a world and a culture now where failure has such negative connotation, right? Like nobody wants to fail. Well, fail is not always bad. You just want to fail in small ways so that you can achieve in big ways, right? But right. Let's face it, there is nothing better than having to pull yourself up off the ground after making a bad decision, right? And then going, all right, let's look at that. How did that go so sideways? Yeah. So that's the one piece of advice I like to give. 
you know, more recently, Queen Elizabeth just passed away and there was all this legacy about her life and, and things that came out. And I said, you know, I really admire the fact that she never left her core principles. I like to think that that's an example that I would like to mimic. Hmm. The winds of change move very quickly, especially in the political world, right? Mm -hmm. Like everybody's changing their mind about issues and things they like. But, you know, she stayed steadfast to her duties. She stayed steadfast to the people of England. And she didn't let those winds of change change what she believed was morally wrong or right. Mm -hmm. And I think as I look back on a lot of that stuff I was listening about about her, I was like, wow, that is somebody like, that's what I would like for somebody to say about me is that everything I did or championed is because I could really say it was going to make the world a better place. Anytime we talk about pieces of legislation, and I say this when I'm with my colleagues, whether it's at NLGA or RLGA, every bill that we pass, we should ask ourselves fundamentally, does it make our world a better place? Mm. And if we can't say yes and not come up with a hundred reasons why it might do it, then we should probably step back and really reflect on it. And so I think that was something I kind of reflected on just hearing about her life and just thought that that was something that would be really inspiring if somebody could say about you, once you're done and, and everything's over, if they can say that, then I think it's a big win. Something that I think that ties a lot of this together, Pam, is the putting your head down, working hard, being a woman-owned business, the being a woman in politics, even wanting to stay steadfast to what you're believing in, like Queen Elizabeth, a lot of that, it comes with courage, right? You said failure, that being able to fall, taking those risks, things that your dad never did. Well, it takes courage to do that. How in the world you develop that courage to push through, uh, especially after you've fallen down? Most people, the reason they don't like failure is because the first time they fail, they stay on the ground. They don't get back up, dust themselves off and deal with humiliation and push forward. That's I think that's the difference between what makes someone a winner. And, a, and I don't I don't want to use the word loser, but someone who is average and someone who is a success. So I read this great book and I go back and read it every now and again. It's called The Obstacle is the Way. Mm. And I don't know if you haven't read it, you should, because it talks about the great business minds of our time, like Carnegie and Ford. And, and it talks about how most of them had these great ideas, bankrupt themselves, came back. And all around the book, it talks about how really successful people, when they hit a roadblock, don't try to go through it. They go around it, they go under it, they go over it. But beating your head against a wall isn't the way. And when you realize that failure never used to be a bad thing, Right. We have made failure a bad thing, right? Mm. We have put those negative connotations around it. And, and I think that's why we have a generation that is riddled with so much anxiety, mm. right? Because they feel like they almost have to be perfect. And they feel like it would be devastating to, to not reach their goals. And it's like, you always want to reach your goals, but sometimes you take different paths to get there. And sometimes you realize what you envisioned in your 20s was unrealistic and you make a different path or you forge a different path in your late 20s and early 30s. Like you, it's okay to continue to reinvent yourself. And I think that's what I want to use my platform to be is to say it's okay. I mean, how many people, Jonathan, have you ever heard say, it's really okay to fail? Yeah. It's okay. It'll make you a better person. I can't remember the last time I heard somebody say that, like somebody that 
was a business leader, somebody that uh, was in public office, you know, they try so hard to make this, oh, everybody's got to succeed. That's, that's not reality. And right. I think we've created this alternate reality, uh, which is why, again, I think we have so many people that are fearful to really reach their potential. Yeah. We're in the era of the Instagram filter where everything is fake and everything's got to look perfect <laughs> instead of realizing. And, and I would even go a step further to saying that, that failure is a good thing. I'd say failure is kind of one of the key ingredients to success. You have to fail on the way to messing up. I love, I haven't read that book. The obstacle is the way, but I'm getting it today <laughs> because I love Jim Rohn. One of my favorite speakers ever. And one of his famous sayings was don't wish it was easier. Wish you were better. Yeah. The obstacles that are put on our life are meant to give us strength. They're meant to give us ingenuity. They're meant to help us move forward. Life isn't happening to you. It's happening for you. Absolutely. And what is that saying? You know, I, I hear people say it every now and again, like hard times make for tough people, easy times make for weak people. And right. I think that's, that's what we, you know, we haven't seen hard times in our country. Like we're seeing now, we haven't seen high interest rates since I was really young and we hadn't seen high gas prices and food prices where they are. And for so long, you know, being an employer and working with employers all over the country, it's been an employee's market for a long time. It's been an employee's market where, Hey, you don't like, you don't like what you're doing. You quit today in a, in 48 hours, you can have another job. Yeah. And that's changing. It's going to make people have to kind of toughen up and really focus on what they want. Mm. And I think that's what we need. It, it's, it, I think it'll, it'll balance everything out. Cause I've never seen employers so humbled <laughs> by, I, I just need a warm body in here to work. I, I don't know where people have gone. Right. Um, and I think we're seeing that. I mean, you're seeing all the layoffs with Google and you're seeing layoffs with Microsoft. And, you know, this is all this, this tech, high tech world. Everybody's going to start feeling a little bit of pressure, just kind of the way things are going to really be committed I think for employers and employees to work together more and come to this good, equal balance where nobody feels like they're holding each other hostage in a position. Right. Um, that's kind of my hope for this learning lesson that I think we're going to start to go through here because we have to start having more respect for each other. I, I really wish when I, I look at the political landscape, I'm so proud of the way everything is working here in South Carolina. Uh, I may not agree with my, you know, with my friends across the aisle, but there's always mutual respect. Right. I think until we can come back to really respecting each other, whether it be employer, employee, whether it's Democrat and Republican, whether it's neighbor to neighbor, we have to get back to a place where we can respect each other. Great story of Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill, you know, coming together like every Wednesday when they were both in D.C. and having a bourbon and talking over what was going on. That civil kind of conversation we have got to get back to. Hmm. Yeah. And you can't try to fix modern problems with old solutions. We're trying to continue to do things the way that used to work 50 years ago. Yeah. I was taught coming in, growing in high school and, and uh, college was to, the, the system is to get good grades, go to a good college, go find a great company to work for and work there for 40, 50, 60 years. You'll have a great pension. They'll take care of you. And that may have worked 
for my grandparents. Yeah. But that doesn't work for my generation. Exactly. You know, the one thing I always talk about, because you can tell I'm very passionate about our technical colleges. And I, when I was building quality business solutions, I had my head down. My dad was a tool and die maker and he Mm. was probably the smartest man I've ever met. I didn't realize that until now, right? Because what he did on a drawing board with a ruler and a protractor, we're we're allowing computers to do now, right? People Mm -hmm. aren't even doing that in their own mind. And so I didn't realize that gray collar, blue collar, what made this country had all of a sudden kind of got diminished, right? Nobody wanted to be a plumber or an electrician. Nobody was going into the trades. Our technical colleges were now being looked at as a second tier option. And I've used my platform along with the governor to really talk about our technical colleges are not a second tier option anymore. Great paying jobs are coming out of our technical schools. Right. And, and I never want people to think that I'm, I'm telling you something that I don't believe is true. So I talk about my middle son, Joey, and my kids hate when I bring them into like conversations where I'm talking to a thousand people, right? We'll make sure to tag him in this. I know, exactly. <laughs> and, and so like I, I talk about Joey because Joey is God given the smartest of all of my kids, but he had ADD. And he didn't like sitting in a classroom. He liked linear kind of things. Uh, Math, science was really good to him. But like you put him in like a sociology or psychology class, like in high school, like it was like nails on a chalkboard where he had to think way out here. It just wasn't Mm -hmm. him. So when I was talking to friends and they said, where's Joey going to college? And I said, he's going to go to Greenville Tech. They were like, did he not get into Clemson? Like, oh my gosh. And it was like, that's when it hit me. There has been a big change in our culture that I somehow missed (laughs) as I was working on building my company up. Mm -hmm. And that has been slowly turning around because it's exactly what you said. I am the granddaughter of Polish immigrants. They wanted for me why they came to this country, right? They wanted my dad to live a better life than them and us to live in a better life than even my parents. So that meant college for them because they were mm-hmm. immigrants, right? It was right. something they couldn't get in their home country. So I can see why we are where we are, where we think the key to success comes with a four-year degree. Mm. But I'm here to tell you that's not the way it is anymore. Right. Because the degrees that are coming out of our technical colleges, most people don't realize we have mechatronics in our technical colleges. It puts mathematics and robotics together. What a cool degree that engineers that graduate Clemson are coming back to get a mechatronics degree. Those students who graduate, they're hiring them the day, actually hiring before they graduate. They're starting at 50, $55,000 a year. And in three years, if they prove to be a good employee, they're making six figures. Mm. That's with a two-year degree and no student loan debt. I mean, this is where we need to, like you said, we need to start thinking what do we need today? I mean, have you tried to hire a plumber or electrician lately? And heaven forbid in South Carolina, your heating and air go out in August, right? That right. is a sought after guy and you'll pay him whatever to come to your house. And we have to tell our kids that, that if you want to work with your hands, you can, you can make all the money you're willing to work hard enough to make. Right. There's no right or wrong answer to success anymore. It's what you really want to do. So let me ask you this, since we're talking about 
the younger generation, if if you were growing up in today's society, what advice would you give to young, your younger self? Well, I would tell myself to not be afraid to fail because I still don't think that we're getting that message across. Don't be afraid. The things that you don't do will be your worst regrets, right? Yeah. It's not your failures. It's the things you wish you would have tried. Yeah. And so that's what I would hope to tell my yourself. That's what I tell my kids. My dad had this great saying, he would say, work hard, do good and aim higher. And he told us that our whole lives. And I made that part of my challenge coin. I talk about it when I was campaigning, because if we all live by that, those three kind of quips, you know, yeah, we would all make our mark in life that we would be proud of. And so you can tell I, you know, my dad was a huge influence in my life. And so was my mom. Hmm. She was a stay at home mom, but she was tough as nails. And she made us, she made us who we were, right? My dad went out and worked really hard. And my mom made us study and clean our rooms and and she took care of everything else. So it was, it was a good family support. And I think that is what we're lacking. In fact, I know that's what we're lacking. We really have to get back to building up the family again, giving empowering parents. School choice is something that I've been championing really full bore since I became lieutenant governor, because I think all parents, it's not just their right. It's their responsibility to be able to educate their children in the best way possible. I have three children. They all learn very differently. And if one school makes them more successful than another, there's no reason that they shouldn't be allowed to choose where their kids go to school. Hmm. And so I feel very passionate about making sure we empower parents. We strengthen the family unit. When you can create good paying jobs in your state and you can take some of the pressure off of parents so they don't have to work two jobs to put food on the table and a roof over their kid's head. You start to take pressure away from the family. Statistics show that when a state is thriving and parents are thriving, substance abuse goes down, abuse goes down, all kinds of things just start to organically get better. And so mm-hmm. that's what the governor and I have tried to really push. Let's get a vibrant economy going in our state. Let's make sure we are strengthening our workforce by job grants that we've given our workforce scholarships to try to get people that were stuck in those entry-level positions into career-making positions. Yeah. And then last year I did a tour around the state. Parents, you got to get your kids working again. Mm. Kids need to understand what it takes to make a dollar. You can't teach fiscal responsibility to somebody who's never had a job. Right. They just have no idea what effort it takes to bring home a paycheck and then explain to them why all those tax dollars came out. <laughs> and then you <laughs> you really bring it all home. And you guys, holy cow, you've had your work cut out for you since you've been in office because you were in office for about a year when the pandemic hit. Exactly. And now I personally believe that South Carolina had the best response to the pandemic among all the states. Can you speak to the courage it took to be different from the norm during that crisis? Oh, it it was. You know, I give all the credit. Governor McMaster stood his ground. He got a lot of pressure to close down the state. And he, he just said, no, you can't take away people's livelihoods. And closing something down, like when you close down somebody's place of employment, 
you better have a darn good reason, right? Because now you're basically covering their goods. Mm. And so he's stuck by the constitution. And I think when you use the constitution as your guide, it's the best thing you can do, right? Because it has been a document that has been around, you know, when people say, well, it's not perfect, it may not be perfect, but it's the most perfect thing we've ever had uh, in the history of this world. And so he was very steadfast when they wanted to, when other states were closing down churches, Yeah, you know, the governor was very adamant that church and worship is somewhere where people go in times of struggle. And there was no more time of struggle than during COVID. And so he refused to close down churches. Uh, He allowed churches to do what they felt was best, whether it be, you know, Zoom sermons or outside or whatever, but he was never going to close down a church. Hmm. And it has really paid off for South Carolina. Like I said, we were the last state east of the Mississippi to tap on the brakes and the first state to open up. And our businesses flourished. BMW, during COVID, they had record profit years. So did Michelin. So did a a, a bunch of other companies. And, And I tout the big ones because they're the ones that talk about it. But you know, when they are having good years, everybody else that's a tier two, tier three, tier four supplier are having great years too. So in general, South Carolina prospered. And it seems like a lot of people have lost the appreciation for our great country and the great state of South Carolina. The the gratitude for our freedom seems to have taken a backseat to safety and equality. How has being a second generation American with grandparents that immigrated from Poland, how has that given you a deeper appreciation for this country and the opportunities that are available to us? Well, you know, I love giving college commencement speeches because my speech revolves around the American dream. And it has been distorted over time, especially when you're seeing what's happening at our southern border and illegal immigrants coming over. Somehow this younger generation thinks that that is the immigrants that made this country great, right? And they say, well, we've always been a country that welcomed immigrants, but we've always welcomed immigrants in a controlled, managed environment. And so that I appreciate, right? Like how how that was done way back when. My grandparents came here for the opportunity to work as hard as they wanted to achieve what they wanted. It's the work hard piece that gets forgotten right now. When people talk about being Americans, right? You were born in America, it means you're entitled to everything. Mm-hmm. That's not the way it works. So I love to talk about it, about hard work and, and what my grandparents said. They came here so they could worship any way they wanted. My grandmother is probably the reason I'm sitting in the office I am now, because she lived with us. She talked about how amazing it was to be an American, how blessed we were to live in a country where you could be anything you wanted to be, that you could do anything you wanted to do as long as you were working hard enough to get there. And so she would be so saddened by the fact that people just gave up their rights just for this sense of security, because we've never had a sense of security in the US, right? We've always fought for our rights. And I think immigrants of old that came here would be sad, saddened to see what happened during the pandemic and how easily some people gave up their right to move around and their rights just in general. The governor was always very adamant about the fact that he would never have a vaccine mandate here in South Carolina, that he would never tell somebody what they should do 
with their own body. I am super proud to be a South Carolinian for all the reasons you just talked about. And I think that it's one of the things that makes your your core message of don't be afraid of failure so vital, especially for those who live in America, because you have the ability to pick yourself up and move forward. You have the freedoms to make great things happen. Yes. People can make so many great things when they have that freedom. Whereas if you put the bumpers up on the bowling alley, it doesn't make for a great bowler, right? You have to hit the gutter ball every now and then to know that, wow, okay, how do I avoid that now? That's why it's important that government get out of business's way. Hmm. Right. The more the bigger government gets, the harder it is. I mean, think about when all the great things in our world were invented. It was done because there was no government interference. And so that's what we need to get back to. That's what we strive for here in South Carolina is we want to have big successes by our businesses. We don't want government to get in their way. We don't want regulations that don't help. You know, we should look at everything. Like I love when I speak at Rotaries and they do their three-way test. So they talk about, is it good? Is it fair to all? You know, that's what we should be doing with every piece of legislation that we put out there. I mean, are we stopping businesses from growing? Is this stop people's creative thinking? Like we just have to get out of their way. And when we get out of businesses way, we see the great things that happen. Right. Well, let's pivot here real quick because we spent a lot of time talking about you. And I know, I feel like we've kind of covered some of the next questions I'm going to ask, but I really wanted to figure out how do you define success? I think success is when you can go home at the end of the night and feel really good about what you've done that day. I don't think it has to do with the amount of money you earn. I think it's how did you give back? To me, success is how do you give back? So it was always important for me as we were growing QBS, how did we give back? What were charities that we felt that we wanted to support? We love to give back to our local community, whether it be Little League, whether it was giving books to kids, putting books in their hands, because reading was something my husband and I felt very passionate about. So success is how are you making your mark in a positive way? And my dad used to have this great saying, you never see a Brinks truck following a hearse, right? Because you can't take it with you. But what you leave is your legacy that you want your children and your grandchildren to be proud of Uh, someday. And I hope it's uh, 100 years from now when somebody's reading my eulogy, I want them to point out the things I did that made this state, this country a better place to live for the next generation. That to me is success. And what are your personal keys to success? I feel like we've talked about a couple of those, but if you were giving your commencement speech or giving your TED talk, Pam, what, what are the, here's the, here's the two, two or three keys to my success and to success in general. So working hard, you have to work hard. Success does not come easy and you have to put the time into it. You have to surround yourself with good people, good people that have a very entrepreneurial spirit that will tell you when you're wrong. Those are really your most cherished employees, the ones that will tell you when you're wrong. And then you want to make sure that you respect everyone. I always told everybody at QBS that I don't care if you sell a million dollar account or if you're out in our distribution room routing FedEx packages, because The salesman can sell that account, but if you send those checks to the wrong place, it'll get blown up in a heartbeat. So everybody sinks or swims together. Nobody's job was more important than anybody else's. That is the true meaning of a team. And we all take the glory together. And I think when you operate a business like that and respect, 
In all of those things, respect is key. You want to make sure that you respect everyone. It's like we're all different parts of a body in a way, right? Just because I use my hands more than my feet, maybe doesn't mean that my feet aren't important. Doesn't, you know, doesn't mean that my liver isn't important or my nose. As soon as it's sometimes it's that time that when you, when you stub your pinky toe, that's when you realize how important it was. Yeah. You know, sometimes I think for a long time, you know, when I was talking about trades and why like, people weren't going into trades and we kind of looked down on them. I remember one day my brother saying something about the garbage man, right? And my dad looking at us and saying, really, what happens if that he doesn't show up tomorrow? Yeah. What happens if he never shows up? Can you imagine the mess this state would be in, you know? And that really always resonates to me, right? Like you can't think you're better than anybody else because if they don't, they're a crucial piece of this puzzle right. called the culture we live in, right? It, it, is, it is the world we live in. Everybody has a role. And if one person's role drops off, it makes all of our lives a lot harder. Right. And so just making sure we treat people with the respect that they all deserve, I think is, is vital for success. People want to work and look up to good people. They fear people that aren't good, but they really want to work and be part of a team when everybody, especially the people at the top, value them. A good football team isn't made of 11 quarterbacks. That's right. And the quarterback is having a real bad game when his line doesn't hold for him, right? So we want to make sure that everybody gets the glory. Exactly, exactly. Uh, So any specific advice for somebody looking to start their own business or looking to get into politics, Pamela? So my best advice is not to be afraid. If you have a good idea and you're willing to work hard at it, then go for it. What's the worst thing that happens? It doesn't go well and you go get a job and do what you're doing now or go work for somebody else. But if it does go well, now you've created a legacy for yourself and your family. So the positives way outweigh the negatives. And I encourage everybody to do that. I love politics. Obviously, I always had been very involved in what was going on, partially because our business was just rooted in regulations. And I think good people have to get involved. And I think sometimes it's viewed as such a, a harsh world that it runs good people away. And I say, if you think you have a call to serve and you have something to offer, then you should, whether it's at a local level, being on a school board, running for state office, running for a federal office, or just wanting to get on a border commission. I mean, there are so many boards and commissions in our state that are looking for talented people that, you know, maybe just fits a niche that you are very passionate about. Do it. Don't let anything stop you because every one of your successes that you have in the public space affects everybody. It makes everybody's everyday better. And so it's really rewarding. My best days or when somebody reaches out to me and says, thank you. Thank you for solving a problem that I had or thank you for connecting me to the right people. That makes my day every time. And it gives me the energy to keep going. It's funny how, when you make just your world, your circle, a better place that you're kind of making the whole world, a better place. I'm going to tell you a great story. So I used to try to do really good things because I wanted to be a good role model for my kids. 
and I became lieutenant governor. And about a month into being sworn in, I had a father reach out to my office and ask if I would meet with his daughter, six-year-old Fern. So being a mom of older kids, you know, I want to be loved by my smallest of constituents. So stop on the way into the Capitol and get a bunch of candy. And I meet with Fern and we had a great hour here in my office, just chit-chatting. And when we were leaving, we took a picture and I asked her dad, I said, why did you bring her to see me? Like what? I mean, I'm so glad you did, but you know what led up to that? And he said, I drive past the Capitol and take her to school every day. And one day she asked me, dad, do any ladies work in that building? And he said, I know that you had just gotten sworn in and I took a chance that you would meet with us because I wanted her to see that. And Jonathan, that's when it dawned on me that little eyes are watching from afar and we are either going to set bad examples or good examples. And so it became something I felt very passionate about is to set a good example for anybody's daughter that's watching. I want them to be proud of what I'm doing, that I am the lieutenant governor, that I'm taking a very hard line on doing good things for the state. and But it did wake me up to say, wow, there are a lot of people outside of my sphere that are watching what I'm doing. And you really have to take that to heart and know that you're doing the right thing. Yeah, that is, seems like a high honor, but at the same time, a very large burden of responsibility to carry. <laughs> I know it was. So it does keep you wanting to make sure that you are setting a good example. And so it just made my, my goal of setting a good example, just stretch out a little bit wider, but young eyes are watching us. And I think it's great when they can look up and see women in all different industries, see women in all different roles, really achieving, because then it makes them feel like their dreams are endless. Whatever they want to do, they've seen somebody do it before them. And there were great women before me that kind of charged the way. And I hope that, you know, we continue to do that and that we really help each other, right? There's because everybody says there's a lot of room at the top. The success isn't limited. So helping each other to try to get here, mentoring the next generation is so important. We don't want them to think that they're gunning to take our spot, but we want to make them well prepared to take it when the time comes. Well, talking about being respectful, going back to that third point, I want to be respectful of your time, Pamela. I know we said we'd be an hour. So let's wrap things up here. I do want to talk really quickly. Can you tell me about QBS? What type of clients do you guys work with? If if one of our listeners was wanting to potentially use QBS, what type of industry or any kind of companies you guys work with? So we work with all different kinds of industries, all different sizes. Our largest client is 50,000 employees. Our smallest client has four. And in all different industries, the beauty of payroll and HR and things like that is it's scalable. Uh, It's the same, you know, you're kind of dealing in the same space, just dealing with different, you know, company sizes. And so, you know, we deal with nonprofits and for-profits and companies that are publicly traded and companies that are mom and pops. And that was the beauty of what I did. And it made me see the struggles that companies had dealing with government, right? It was definitely helped push my passion to want to do something to make everybody profitable. Everybody have the ability to grow, whether you have 50,000 employees or you have four, we want to make sure that everybody's successful. And where can people find you and connect with you? I know you, you've got your website, PamelaEvitt.com. 
Yep. Pam at PamelaEvitt.com. As you can see me, that's my, that's my personal website and try to put stuff out there that's happening. Definitely follow me on my social media on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I talk about everything that I do every single day, cool places that I've seen around the state, great things that are happening, businesses that are coming here. I'm super positive, Jonathan. My social media is not negative at all. And I just love to talk about all the wonderful things that are happening here in our state. So rapid fire questions here. What's your favorite travel destination? Favorite travel destination is Italy. Okay. Loved Italy. How about favorite bucket list travel destination? So I really want to go to Spain. I've always wanted to do that. Here in in the U.S., I really want to get out to Yellowstone. That is top on my bucket list. I keep telling my husband I'm a big horse person. We have horses. I love to ride. And I would just love to ride out there. I actually was uh, invited by the lieutenant governor of South Dakota to do the Buffalo Roundup. So hopefully next year I'll be able to get a horse out there and do the Buffalo Roundup with Larry and with Governor Christy Nome. So they do that every year. So I'm excited to maybe be a part of that. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Sounds fun. Uh, okay. You, you love reading. What's your favorite fiction book? My favorite fiction book. Oh my gosh. I, um, Virgin river. My daughter just bought it for me. Cause I love the series on Netflix. Uh, again, it goes into that hallmarky love to watch, like just happy things when I have some time on my hands. So I actually read the book and it was a great fiction book. How about favorite nonfiction book? The obstacle is the way. It's the one I keep going back to when things just seem overwhelming. I'm getting that. You've sold me on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't even have to tell me, Jonathan, how you like it. I will. I definitely will. Thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate it, Pamela. And her last name, by the way, everybody, just so you can clear it out, it's pronounced Evid. <laughs> That's very good. Jonathan, I'm going to take you with me all around the state. You, you're going to give the tutorial on how to say my last name. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Pamela. Jonathan, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. All right, listeners, let's get out there and make our world, our country, and our community a better place. When you succeed, we all succeed. And as always, this is a friendly reminder that the left lane is for passing. So speed up or move over. <laughs>